Today's sermon text is Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Father, um, show us your ways. Lord, teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us, for you are our God, our Savior, our hope is in you all day long. You guide the humble in what is right, and you teach them your way. The ones who reverence you will be instructed in the way they should choose. You confide in those who reverence you and reveal to them the depths of your commitment. May our families and lineage serve you. May future generations of those not yet born be told of you. No king is saved by the strength of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. 
Therefore, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help them, help us. I pray not only for them, but for those who will believe in you through their word. In your name, amen. Um, The title of today's sermon is The Heart of the Spirit-Filled Life. The Heart of the Spirit-Filled Life. Um, In conclusion of today's message, I will make my notes available for you all online with added um, questions to help you extract truth out of the sermon. And also, there will be additional resources for more discoveries. So we're today talking about um, what it looks like for us now that we've been raised again from the dead. Uh, And under that topic... We will have a great discussion about what it means um, to experience the spirit-filled life. What is the heart of the spirit-filled life? Um, Given that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, it behooves us to answer the question, how then shall we live? Given that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, it behooves us to answer the question, How then shall we live? So that's the subject at hand today as we journey through Romans chapter 6. How are you to live your life in light of the fact that you will never stop living? How are you to live your life in light of the fact that you will never stop living? Think about that. Just think about that. Are you preparing for that? Are you preparing for forever? How are you to live your life in light of the fact that you would never stop living? One day, your personality, the personality that you have right now, will transition into an immortal frame. You will always be you. You'll be better, but you'll be you. One day, your personality will transition into an immortal frame. You are a spiritual being with an unceasing destiny, created to rule with God forever in his great universe. You are a spiritual being with an unceasing destiny created to rule with God forever in his great universe. An unceasing destiny. How are you to live your life in light of the fact that you would never stop living? Are you preparing for that? With that in mind, we must answer the question, And I must answer the question, what kind of person am I becoming? With that in mind, with forever in mind, and with the fact that my personality will one day transition into an immortal frame, I will always be me, being conformed into the image of Jesus, what kind of person am I, are you becoming? I just want you to feel that. 
in light of the fact that you will never, ever stop living. Therefore, the greatest opportunity that we have in life is to bring our kingdoms under the governance of God's kingdom. That's the greatest opportunity that we have in life. In light of the fact that we will never stop living, the greatest opportunity that we have in life is to take our kingdoms and bring it under the governance of God's kingdom. And if you have problems trying to understand what kingdom is, imagine what a reaction would be like from John Keller here if I was trying to reach in his pocket. That's his kingdom. He has governance over that. It belongs to him. He reigns here. That's kingdom. Yeah, with your wife's permission. (laughs) And so we have to take the things that we have governance over (laughs) and bring them under the full submission of God. We have to take the things we have governance over and bring them under the full submission of God. That's the greatest opportunity we have in life to follow Jesus. Um, to give our governance over to his. So that's what it means to say, thy will be done. That's what it means to say that. To take the things we have governance over, control over, bringing them under the control of God, let God make, make the dictations. That's what it means to say, thy will be done. So in this, we demonstrate our love for God by willing what God wills in acting out the goodness of what he wants. In this, this is how we demonstrate our love for God, by willing what God wills and acting out the goodness of what he wants. Clearly said, like this from the mouth of Jesus, the one who loves me will keep my commandments. So we bring our kingdom under the governance of God's kingdom in light of the fact that we would never stop living this is, how we, this is how we prepare ourselves for ruling with him forever. We bring our kingdom under, under the governance of his, and we demonstrate that we've truly done that in love by willing what he wants. Willing what God wills and acting out the goodness of what he wants. Follow me? So, thank you. <laughs> As partakers of eternal life, even now we are reigning with him. As partakers of eternal life, even now we are reigning with him. Jesus says, he makes a statement like this. He says, um, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. We're wrapped up in the triune God. And so even now we participate in ruling and reigning with him. And you can reference Romans chapter 5, verse 17. So as you apply your will... To choose what is good and right in the eyes of God, in that sense, you reign with him in life. When you apply your will to choose what is good and right in the eyes of God, in that sense, you reign with him in life. That's what it means to exercise dominion. That's one of the meanings of of exercising dominion in the world. Because God is a God of goodness. He's a God of righteousness. He's a God whose choices are always complete and whole. 
And when we participate with him in choosing the way he chooses and choosing what he chooses, in that sense, we rule with him. And we have to learn how to um, like shape our hearts to embrace this kind of paradigm because it brings about a more special um, aura to life. Everything becomes special. The mundane is special because in that sense, you get to rule with God. You get to exercise dominion with God. beautiful so how are your choices preparing you for reigning with him forever how are your choices preparing you for reigning with God forever how are you preparing for that So remember, the life that you have now will transition into a mortal frame. You're going to always be. How will you be? How are your choices preparing you for reigning with God forever? Because you will reign with him. Revelations 22, verse 6, you will reign with him forever. There will be thousands upon thousands of years of ruling and reigning with God. And your life is training for reigning. Your life is training for reigning. That's what it means to be a steward. That's what it is. That's what it means to be a steward. You're in training for reigning forever. How are your choices preparing you for your destiny? Destiny. So the heart of the spirit-filled life is obedience. That's the heart of the spirit-filled life. The heart of the spirit-filled life is, is obedience. And there's a substantial link between obedience and joy. Um, John, in John chapter 14, Jesus goes on to say, So many times. So the link between obedience and joy, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, even so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants you to have his joy. That's why he gives you the commands that he received from his father. And as we participate in those, we demonstrate our love for him. And we're able to demonstrate this love because we have a new capability that comes from believing in. And that's what we'll discuss in Romans 6, this new capability, this newfound power. This newfound power. So the heart of the spirit-filled life is obedience. And why why did I say it's the heart of the spirit-filled life? Because Jesus makes this statement. He says, "Whoever, whoever has my commands and keeps them 
is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be, lo- will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. I too will love them and show myself. Jesus says, I will reveal myself to the one who takes me seriously. That's what he's saying. I will reveal myself to the one who takes me seriously, who loves me. And further, he says, anyone who who obeys my teaching is the one who loves me. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The one who takes him seriously, who loves him, who takes into account all that he said, he says, I would make my home with that person. Downright at home, guys, at home. That's Jesus with you. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The fellowship of the Trinity at home with you. It's like your hazmat suit becomes God. That's how you got to look at it. It becomes God. This is good news. Precious promises. Precious promises. All right. So the heart of the spirit-filled life is obedience, and the pathway to obedience is discipleship to Jesus. The pathway to obedience is discipleship to Jesus. Through discipleship to Jesus, we grow in obedience. And through obedience, we become skillful at becoming Jesus' disciples. Now, if you're a disciple of something, that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be great at at what you're being a disciple of or to whom you're being a disciple of. But through the pathway of discipleship, we grow in skill. We grow in skill. Just last night, we were, Carrie and I, my wife Carrie, we were having um, dinner with um, Logan and his wife Katie back there. And so Katie has been taking, um, she was taking golf classes. And she doesn't like golf that well. You mind if I tell the story about you playing golf? <laughs> and so um, she played baseball for a long time. And so she's used to swinging baseball, baseball bat. But golf is different. You've got to hold the club down here, right? And so she said, to become good, I just had to train and train and train and train and train. But that's true for anything, right? Even with following Jesus. Even with following Jesus. So the pathway to obedience is discipleship to Jesus. Through discipleship, we grow in obedience. Through obedience, we become skillful. We become, process, skillful at at being Jesus' disciples. Um, So by discipleship to to Jesus, I mean 
to choose once and for all to become his lifelong student. By discipleship to Jesus, I mean to choose once and for all time to become his lifelong student. His lifelong student. Um, To be his disciple, we devote ourselves to practicing Jesus' teachings and adopting his way of life. To be his disciples, we devote ourselves to practicing Jesus' teachings and adopting his way of life. And brothers and sisters, we must come to the place where we wholeheartedly believe that we can become like him. We must come to the place where we wholeheartedly believe that we can become like him because he believes it. We have to believe it. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. I chose you to be as I am and to do as I do. He picked you for that. And if you're going to take over the world, what kind of people you want on your team? Come on. He chose you. He, he picked you. Some of you grew up playing sports, so nobody ever picked you. He picked you. The value has been inferred. He picked you. We must come to the place where we wholeheartedly believe that we can become like him. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And usually when we hear that, we always think about miracles. Let's put that to the side. The one, very truly, I tell you, Jesus, Jesus said, the one who believes in me will do the works I have been doing. This is John chapter 14, verse 12. The one who believes in him will follow him into his practices, into his habits, into his works. The one who believes in Jesus will follow him into his practices. And as maturing disciples, it is incumbent upon us to know what his practices, what his habits were. Because that's how you change, right? That's how you change if you wanted to go to the gym. It is incumbent upon us. It's necessary for us to know, as disciples, what were the practices of Jesus? What were his habits? He goes on to say elsewhere, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be. Whoever serves me, him will my father honor. That's John 12, verse 26. So he says, whoever serves me must follow me, And where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever serves me, him will my father honor. Now, this word serve is special. This word serve is the word, the same word that's used for deacon work. It's the same word used for deacon work. And recently we just ordained some deacons and deaconesses. The word means to actively and practically serve in haste. It means to be on the move. 
as a word picture, imagine a person running so fast to meet a need that dust is behind them. A pile of dust. Let's show the picture. That's what I'm talking about. That's it. Imagine that. But that's what the word, that's what the word entails. Service. So imagine, imagine what that right there. See that. The word serve in this context, same word for deacon work, it means to give attention to anything that will cater toward the interests of another. It means to give attention to anything that would cater toward the interest of another. In this case, it means to give attention to anything that would cater toward the interest of Jesus. That's what it means to serve him. To give attention to anything that would cater toward the interests of Jesus. It means that my life is about accommodating Christ. Accommodating Christ. Accommodating Christ. So serving him is centering your life on accommodating him. Whoever serves me, said Jesus, him will my father honor. We are the deacons of Christ. Our lives are wrapped up in catering and accommodating him. But are you convinced that Jesus knows the best way to live? He knows the best way to live. He's the one who knows what it means and how to truly be human in a way that honors and pleases the Father. He knows that. And he invites us into that kind of life. He's the one who knows the truth about humanity, the truth about our universe. So, for Paul, in Romans 6, the result of, new, the result of Romans 6 is new life from God. For Paul in Romans 6, the result of it is new life from God. We get to do Romans 6 because we have new life from God. And the result, the result of living this kind of life, it comes from being indwelt by the Spirit. It comes from God making his home in human beings. You are the house of God, not this. You're the house of God on wheels. Wherever you go is holy ground. You carry God with you. Don't look back up on this building and say, that's the church. You're it. The church has gathered here today. The house of God came to the building. And when you leave, the house of God goes out into the world. You get to carry God with you. 
presence of God. God lives in you. His home is with you. Wherever you go, he goes. In one sense, he's already there. But in another sense, he's not. That's the paradox of the Christian life. You get to carry God around. It's like a room full of Marys. Just get to walk around with God in you. Okay, uh, Romans 6, first point. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. A new state of affairs, first point. A new state of affairs. And so with this first point in this new state of affairs, I want us to learn how to live in the past. You're like, what? I know my past is jacked up, so I don't mean mine. (laughs) And I don't want you to mean yours when we go talk about this. In this new state of affairs, we are learning to live in the past, but not, not our own past, the past of Jesus. In this new state of affairs, we are learning to live in the past, but not our own past, the past of Jesus. That's what Romans 6 is about, living in the past. The Father counts Christ's death on the cross as the death that we died. Since we were, God bless you, since we were immersed into Jesus' death, we will also be immersed into Jesus' life. When you were baptized, your story was being mingled with the story of Jesus. Jesus died and he rose again. And when you were baptized, to God that was saying, you have now entered into Jesus' story. His death on the cross has become yours now. And when you were raised up again, God says that you are now alive from the dead. His story becomes yours. What's true of him becomes true of you. That's why baptism is so important, because of the way God views it, not because of the way man views it, because of God. So we were immersed into Jesus' death. We will also be immersed in his life. To be immersed in his death means that you and I are no longer defined by our past, but by his. To be immersed into his death means that you and I are no longer defined by our past. So this is God's perspective on being baptized. You're no longer defined by your past, but by the past of Jesus. And we're going to walk through some verses so that you can see that from God's viewpoint. So, No longer defined by our past, but by what his past has accomplished. Now, listen to these verb tenses um, of the truths in Romans 6. We're going to walk through some verbs, some scriptures, but listen to the tense of the verbs. So, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were buried with him in baptism. We were buried with him. In baptism. Buried. 
Now, just a couple weeks ago, um, you know, our team, Barb, Ray Taylor, Mary, Denise Taylor, um, Jackie Borum, hopefully I didn't forget anybody, but we all came out along with the Samuels, came out to um, train KUC's church. KUC is the guy over here with the fro. Um, this church is a second generation church, so it's one church reproduced another. And so we went to go train them, and Josh was leading this training, and this guy ends up coming to Christ in the training. I wish I had time to tell this story because it's crazy. Came to Christ in the training, um, and then he got trained how to do it, how to share. Uh, and the next week, he was baptized. And he said, he gave his testimony before he did this. He said, I'm not doing this for anybody in the room. I'm doing this for me. And when I go down to that water, I'm dying to myself. And when I come back up, I'm all his. Baptism, we were buried with him. Since then, this church has led over 40 people to Christ. It's just a couple weeks. Praise God. And our team had to, to model before them and take them out. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. You know? Yeah. Like, heaven celebrates when one believes. One. 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 None of it's irrelevant with God. So we were buried with him in baptism. And this is how the um, Living Bible says it. It says, your old sin-loving nature was buried with him by baptism when he died. And when God the Father, with glorious power, brought him back to life, you were given a wonderful new life to enjoy. I just want to read that paraphrase, the Living Bible paraphrase, so just so we can feel the weight of it in, in the language that we use on a regular basis. So being immersed in the death of Jesus means that we are no longer defined by our past, but by the past of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can look back upon his past and say, well done. The only one. He can look back upon his social life, his psychological life, his spiritual life, and say, well done, because it was perfect. Perfect. And that gets accredited to you. That's what it means when you were buried with him in baptism and raised again to new life, a new past. Not just a clean slate, a replaced one. It's legit. So notice, you were buried with him in baptism. If you haven't been baptized... This is not a baptism um, sermon, but if you haven't, obey Jesus in this area for, him, for, for your relationship with him. Because you just want to obey Jesus. Just follow him in this area. 
follow him in this area. And we got a pool right there. Mm. So you were buried with him in baptism. Past tense, right? Am I right, you English majors? Okay. So next point. We have been united with him in death. You were united with him in death. That's verse 5. Um, Living Bible once again. For you have become a part of him. And so you died with him, so to speak, when he died. And now you share his new life and shall rise as he did. You share a new life and shall rise as he did. We have been united with him in death. We're learning to live in the past. Moving forward. Our old life was crucified with him so that our body would no longer be controlled by sin. Verse 6. Our, our old self was crucified with him so that our body, body would no longer be controlled by sin. Old self was crucified with him. Why? So that we won't have to be dominated by sin anymore. Right. So you have, to, you have to embrace this as your identity. You have to embrace it. This is, this is not something to become. It's something to receive. You receive this. You don't achieve it. You receive it. Receive, not achieved. Okay? So we're going to talk about transformation issue a little bit in, in coming up. But at f- first, we need to deal with that. This is received, not achieved. This is automatic in the eyes of God once you put your faith in him and demonstrate it in baptism. Okay. So... Living Translations paraphrase says, your old desires were nailed to the cross with him. That part of you that loves to sin was crushed, fatally wounded, so that your sin-loving body would no longer be under the control of sin, no longer need to be sin's slave. Verse 14, you were under the law. Were, past tense, you were under the law. We needed the law to to manage us. But now we're under new management, spirit. We got God living inside of us. Instead of having to be managed from the outside, now we're managed from the inside. You were under the law. Now, we have died with Christ, verse 8. Your old sin-loving nature died with Christ. Uh, Moving forward, verse 17, we used to be slaves to sin. You once chose to be slaves to sin, as Living Paraphrase says. And again, we have been set free from sins. We are now slaves of what is right. Past tense, we have been set free from sin. Say that with me. I have been set free from sin. I have been set free from sin. That's true. That's that's truth. This is where you live as a disciple of Jesus. And um, last point on living in the past, we used to present ourselves as as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing compounding wickedness. 
verse 19. We used to present ours, ourselves as slaves to impurity. We used to, used to, used to, used to. I know some of us, we're growing out of that. We're growing out of that. I've been there. I've been there. But no one ever helped me to adopt this as a paradigm for living. I always felt like I was earning my way into righteousness. This is received, not achieved. This is your reality. This is where you live. Now, so past, learning to live in the past. Now we're going to talk about the present, our present reality. And we go bring this thing in. So our present reality, hear this. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live, present tense, live a new life. We too may live a new life, a new one. Verse 4, moving forward. You are free from sin. Verse 7. You are, say this, I am free from sin. In this text, he didn't give any clarification. He didn't say, well, but this needs to happen, and then you need to do this, and then none of that. You are free from sin. Why? Because you've been united with him in death. The one who has died is free. You've been raised again to new life. You say, well, that's not my story. Yes, it is. You are free. Moving forward. Count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a command to me. Do you know how much money you got in the bank? Huh? Or in your pocket? You know how much you got? That's what this word count means. It means to calculate and to come up with an accurate sum. Count yourselves as dead to sin but alive to God. You're a new creation, brothers and sisters. Count yourselves as that. Like this is, this is an, an accurate statement about your life if you're in Christ. Okay. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it control you since you have a newly found ability to do so. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And if I tell you, like, if I say, well, um, Nathan, don't let the coat fall on the, floor, on the floor. What does that imply about Nathan's ability? He can do it. He can do it. He can really do it. If God says don't let sin reign in your, your mortal body, it's because he's going to give you the power to do it. He's going to give you the resources, the grace. 
He's going to give you the grace in community. He's going to give you grace in the experience of relationship with him. He's going to give you the grace in his word. He's going to give you the grace in experience. He's going to give you what you need. On. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves as an instrument of righteousness. So once again, if he says to do something, it implies that the ability is present and is present because you have a new life from God, newfound ability and a new family to do this with. Offer every part of yourselves as an instrument. And the word instrument here is a weapon. Not going to stay that longer. We got to get this thing. All right. So moving forward, um, verse 14, you are under grace. So the text we first looked at, we were under the law. Now we're seeing in verse 14 also that we are now under grace. So that's your present reality. You are under grace now. Now, hear this. The law commanded us to fly but did not give us wings. Grace commands us to fly, but it gives us wings. Grace says, here go some wings, now take off. The law said, take off. And you're like... But grace, grace gives us wings and commands us to fly. That's why John can say the commands of God are not burdensome. That's why he can say that in 1 John. Because of grace. You you have wings. And you don't need Red Bull. You got Jesus. You got Jesus. So we can obey God's word from the heart because we are now slaves of obedience. Slaves of all that is right. Now, in verse 16 and 17 and throughout Romans 6, Paul uses this interchange of, of certain kinds of slavery, the slavery to sin, um, slaves, slavery to death. And then because of our union with Christ, he says, now we are slaves to righteousness. And then in verse 16, we are slaves to obedience. And later he says, slaves to God. He uses all of those interchangeably. Slaves to obedience, slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. You're free to do right now. You're free to obey now. You're free to follow God. First, you were not free to obey. You were not free to live right. You were not free to follow God. You didn't have the power. Now the power is present. There's a newfound capability that lies within you because of the Spirit. So moving forward, you are now able to commit yourselves to all that is right, which leads to ever increasingly becoming like God. That's verse 19. Um, The word sanctification clearly simply means to become like God. Sanctification is a consciously chosen and sustained cooperation with God in which we learn to habitually do what pleases him. 
It's a process by which we cooperate with God. Um, so we we need we need new habits to cultivate. New habits to cultivate. To, to walk in this reality. Our future reality is that we will reign with him forever. We will have resurrection, life, experience, and new bodies. That's our future reality. So we can follow Jesus into his practices to assist us in conforming more and more into his image. But we have to learn what those practices and habits are, what they were. We can form new habits, but you and I, we need practice. And practice takes time. Practice takes patience. Practice takes effort. But in our efforts of weakness, we can anticipate the power of God coming to our aid. You can anticipate it. We need to nurture the habit of letting our yes be yes. We need to nurture the habit of breaking away from the noise of life to pray. We need to nurture the habit of immersing ourselves in the word of God. We need to nurture the habit of helping those who are marginalized. We need the habit of not bringing to our, not bringing to the attention of others um, every act of goodness that we do. We need to nurture that habit. We need to nurture the habit of abstaining for, from food for a season to devote ourselves to God, to devote ourselves to God. We need new habits of not bailing out on relationships because we misunderstood. Uh, we need habits of loving others by real, practical actions. Um, these are just a few of the habits we see displayed in the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, coming to a close, Second um, Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. How much effort does that leave out? Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. The word virtue means um, moral excellence. It simply means to become the best that you could possibly be. And the power for that is present. I just want to repeat that again. The power for that is present. But the development of it takes time. And we have to practice. We have to call attention to these things again and again and again. So um, make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Um, this entails training. It entails, this is a call for experimentation. Experimentation. It is a call to practice what is good, not just attempt what is good. It's a call to practice what is good, not just attempt what is good, but practice. And we have to practice the way we would if we wanted to learn how to play Beethoven. We have to practice the way we would if we wanted to successfully do a triathlon. We have to practice the way we would if we wanted to bodybuild. And we have to practice the way we would if we wanted to learn how to make chef-quality pan-seared scallops with risotto. <laughs> you know? If you want to kill that dish, you want to make that dish very well, you got to practice, right? And so we're talking about discipleship to Jesus, learning to grow in skill as a follower of Christ. And right practices are the cells into which the spirit blows, the habits of Jesus. We need to cultivate those. And he, the spirit of truth, he will help us. 
but we have to we have to train and not just try, not just attempt. And so what we're what we're going for is I want to say this right. What we are going for is sustained action over the course of time in spite of failure. What we are going for is sustained action over the course of time in spite of failure. You just can't give up. You can't give up. Change go come. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) My wife's like. (laughs) Guys, (laughs) you've been baptized with Christ. You have a newfound capability. Your past is now the past of Jesus. Uh, It's immersed in the past of Jesus. It's been swapped. And with this exchange comes a newfound capability that enables you to do far more than you can ever imagine yourself doing. And the life that you're living now will transition into the life of calm. And in this present time, you are training for reigning with him. So submit yourself to his fellowship, his discipleship, and allow him in time, through practice, to conform your life to his. That's summary. <laughs> um, and so now let's, let's pray and um, just turn inward and um, reflect on God. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper. King Jesus, you reign over all life, over heaven and earth, over all people everywhere, far and near. And you reign in our lives, and we thank you for this newfound identity that we now have because your spirit is with us. We are immersed in the triune God, and you go with us wherever we go, and you're with us however we are, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will be with us in trouble. And we thank you for the death that you died. And we thank you for the blood that you spilled that we may have infinite forgiveness and radical transformation. And we come today and we take this bread and this juice as we reflect upon your new life, the life you've given us. We love you so much. Come, eat, and drink. Amen.